Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Today, we're wrapping up the book of Hebrews. I know some of you are probably ready. My wife has mentioned that before. I've had a few others. Uh, I know it's, we've learned incredibly powerful and life-changing truths. Every word of God is like that. I also know it's been a long series through the book of Hebrews. I, I will like to draw your attention, though, to uh, verse 23 or 22, uh, where God has the human author say this, inspired by God. I beseech you, I plead with you, brethren, Bear with this word of exhortation. Suffer with it because I have written a letter to you in a few words. Now, you might not think this was a few words for the last few months. Uh, This morning, we come to the end of our study in the New Testament book of Hebrews. It is an epistle. It's a letter to the churches like the books of Romans through Revelation are. Um, But it's easy to forget that sometimes because the majority of its content over the past few months, it has maybe read more like a 13-chapter-long sermon than it does one of those letters from Paul or Peter or John. But here at the end of chapter 13, uh, we are reminded that it is an epistle, it is a letter, because it ends like they all do. It ends with a closing benediction, uh, a prayer, or a blessing for the Christians who are reading it studying the truth of God in it. And it's a beautiful benediction. Verses uh, really 20 to 21 are what we're going to look at. That's where the benediction is. Uh, It has, in very clear, concise language, it truly summarizes most of the major themes uh, of the book. That Jesus is better. That Jesus is better than the Old Testament form of worship. That Jesus is better than the Old Testament heroes of the faith like Moses. That Jesus is a better high priest than any human high priest ever was. That the restored and reconciled relationship that we have with God through faith in Jesus Christ, that it's better than anything that was offered before. It's better than anything that we could ever hope to find anywhere else or from anything else or in anyone else. This closing prayer for every Jesus follower who's reading it, including us this morning, it celebrates the the equipment for living for Jesus that is ours by God's grace through faith in Christ. Before we study it, let's pray once more. Father, we come to your word this morning so dependent on you as we are in everything, but especially to understand your word and be changed by it because that's what we want, Lord. It's living, it's powerful, it's active, it's transformative. God, thank you for that. I pray your Holy Spirit, who's present here in the lives of every single person who's trusted in Christ as Savior, who's present here this morning, for anyone who might not have done that, but who is going to be actively calling them to faith in Christ, to be saved, to be born again. Lord, I pray that he would have no obstructions, no hurdles to overcome. I pray that you bind any distraction that might come across our hearts or minds. And just for a little bit here as we finish this gift you've given to us in the book of Hebrews. Lord, for just a little bit, we would focus completely on you and your word. We need it. It's like important as the air we breathe. Anything we 
would have ate for breakfast already. We need it. But Father, through your word, may your Holy Spirit conform us to the image of Jesus Christ for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. God is the source of our equipment. That's really what verse 20 begins talking about. God's the source of everything. So, of course, he's the source of our having everything that we need as Christians to live for Jesus Christ. Verse 20 begins this prayer for Jesus' followers by saying, now the God of peace. And I want you now to drop down a few phrases because the writer of Hebrews, he's kind of like me. He likes to put a lot of stuff in between uh, major parts of a sentence. And so you have all these parenthetical clauses that are kind of clog up the rest of verse 20. I want you to read it like this. Now the God of peace, and then immediately drop down to verse 21. Now the God of peace make you perfect. That's really what the prayer is. Now that stuff at the, in between there, very important. We're going to address that here. But it's right here that this prayer is talking about the believer in Jesus Christ being equipped, being perfect. That, that word translated perfect here in the King James Version is the Greek word katartasai. It doesn't mean perfect like we typically think of, like completely without any kind of error or sin, uh, like a perfect score. It, it means to prepare, to perfect, to prepare or to equip. In fact, most modern English translations, if you have one in front of you, uh, it will translate it as such. Now, may the God of peace equip you. So this prayer that's inspired by God, written by the human author of Hebrews, is that Christians would realize that they are equipped. And we will get to this a little later. But the emphasis of verse 20 is on the source of our being equipped. And as verse 20 clearly states at the beginning, we are equipped by who? The God of peace. I'm so glad that we are. Aren't you? That he's the one equipping us. I am so glad that the immeasurable blessing and assurance that I have everything that I need to powerfully live my life here in this world as a follower of Jesus Christ, that's not sourced in me. Woo, thank God for that, that it's sourced in God, the source of everything. And there's a lot of debate who the human author of Hebrews is, and it's actually this phrase in the final closing verses of the book of Hebrews that caused many to believe it was written by the apostle Paul because the God of peace, that is one of his favorite, uh, most frequently used phrases, and it ought to be one of our favorite phrases as well, because of all the hope-infusing truths that are packed into that little phrase, now the God of hope. Do you understand that they're, am I really going today? Am I knocking over the flowers? They were tilting, weren't they? I'll try to sit still. All right, you're good. <laughs> Do you understand there was a time, though, when, when you didn't have hope? When you didn't know the God of hope, you didn't have a relationship with the God of hope, there was a time before we trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior that we were part of that group that has existed since Adam and Eve, back in Genesis 3, first declared war on God. Now, that's not an exaggerative phrase. That's not hyperbole. That is what sin is. Sin is rebellion against a holy God, against an omnipotent God. And that's a long history of humanity ever since Genesis 3, you and I being at war with God, fighting God, battling God. We had no peace with God. That's what Romans 5.10 tells us, other scriptures as well. But Romans 5.10 says, in fact, we were enemies of God. It says, for if when we were enemies, and thank God the verse doesn't end there. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, 
much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And so because of our being at war with God, because of our being enemies of God and having no hope in our own power or in our own strength to ever change that dynamic, Pastor Jerry Vine says God had to do something to reconcile us to himself, to bring about peace with him again. And the wonderful thing is that God takes the initiative in this situation. It's always God who makes the first move. And God's word in Romans 5.10 there, we just quoted it, it tells us that God sent his son Jesus to reconcile us, to change us from enemies of God <laughs> to children of God. That happened through the death of his son. And then to save us through the resurrected life of his son. Peace was achieved on the cross of Jesus Christ. Peace was achieved in that empty tomb. Peace was made possible for anyone, for whosoever will receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. The God of peace did this. And the one who did this life-transforming thing, he's also the source of all the things, of all the equipment that the Christian needs to live for Christ in this life. Such an important phrase, the God of peace. He's the source of our equipment. But so is the God of power. Verse 20 goes on to explain that. Our God is powerful, isn't he? He is. He's powerful. We've already mentioned Romans 5.10. The greatest proof of his power was when God the Father raised Jesus Christ, God the Son, from the dead. And do you realize that's the very same thing that he does spiritually for every person who comes to faith in his grace to us in Jesus Christ for salvation? See, not only were we enemies of God, Scripture tells us, it also says you are dead. You are dead. You are the the walking dead, like zombies. You were spiritually, spiritually, you were unable to do a single thing about your terrible condition before you received Christ as Savior. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, speaks of Christians when it tells us this. And you, he made alive. He made alive. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, and you were by nature, by the sin nature that you were born with, you were by nature the children of wrath, just as others. And then it says two words that we love so much, but God, (laughs) but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Incredible, isn't it? That's powerful, what I just read there. I don't know if there's a more powerful, powerful thing to witness. Um, from the God uh, of peace and power than when you see what I just mentioned happen in real life. Whether it's yourself, when you first trusted in Christ as Savior, or or when it's uh, someone you love who finally the lights turn on and the Holy Spirit brings them to life and they receive Christ. That is nothing but the power of God. I've seen ridiculously um, powerful things, uh, like crazy powerful explosions when I was in the military. Like they, you feel them. You remember them. I've seen, uh, I remember growing up in a small town in rural Wisconsin. We had a county fair every year. My favorite thing to go to was on Thursday nights. They would have the tractor pull 
and the draft horse pull. And it was pretty cool seeing these tractors with, but to me it was like horses. These are big horses. Like, I mean, I'm not, their rear end is way over me, right? And their heads were massive. That's a lot of power there. And some of you, some of you have been blessed by God to actually witness the miracle of human birth. Maybe you saw your child. Obviously, every mother did. I mean, there's miraculous power in the creation of life. But there, there's nothing. There's nothing, at least until Jesus Christ returns for us. There is nothing, I think, that is more powerful than somebody going from a, an enemy of God to a friend of God, to a child of God. That's powerful. Going from spiritually dead, unable to do anything about your situation, to be, being spiritually full of life, chains broken that used to bind you, grave clothes uh, falling away, a life transformed when the Holy Spirit of Christ says, let there be life, just as he did in Genesis 1. Uh, when a personalized to you, Lazarus come forth, is uttered from uh, the mouth of God, and you respond to the grace that he holds out to you in Jesus Christ. That's power, folks. I mean, yeah, he's a God of peace, but he's also the God of power. Because as verse 20 goes on to say, he brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. He does the same thing for every one of us when he resurrects us from spiritual death to spiritual life when we are born again. And he will do the same thing physically for all those who have experienced that, who have trusted Christ as Savior when he calls us home or when he returns for us. Powerful is our God. And powerful is our Savior. Verse 20 calls him the great shepherd of the sheep. That's who our God of peace, our God of power accomplished all of this through. Through the blood, it says, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, Christ's blood. Richard sang about it. From that scarred hand, the blood that poured from those hands. Is there power in the blood? Amen, there is. That's why we still sing about it here, and we will keep, it, keep on singing about it, because there's power there. So, so these are all important, incredibly important truths. But don't forget why they are there in verse 20 and, and where they are here they're in the middle of a prayer that we as Christians would be equipped. Because the prayer here is for this God of peace, for this God of power, for the source of everything, for us to recognize him as such, for him to equip those who have received Jesus Christ as their Savior with everything that they need to live for Jesus here in this life, even this morning. Now let's see what God says uh, in this benediction and this blessing about the substance of our equipment. And that's in verse 21. First, let's talk about its dimension. Uh, God's desire here in this God-inspired prayer is that we would be equipped, made perfect, in every, in every good work to do his will, him working in us that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Now, does it say that we would be made perfect, that we would be equipped for some things? No. It said for everything, not most things. It's God's desire that we would be equipped for every, every good work. That's the dimension. That, that's the span, the breadth, as far as God's equipping us, that we would have everything that we need to do everything he calls us to do and to forsake everything that he commands us not to do. He equips us with everything, and he equips us for everything. For instance... Think about that temptation. That's, hopefully it's been. Maybe it is. 
But hopefully it's been, a, it's been such a stronghold in your life that you feel like you'll never experience victory over it. Do you realize that he's promising here that he's provided everything you need? He's provided all the equipment that you need to experience victory over that sin. Think about that temptation to doubt, to doubt his goodness, to doubt his power. When calamity strikes your life, maybe it just has. Maybe it will this week. You promised here from God, the source of everything, that he's provided you all the equipment you need to leave fear, to rise to faith when that trouble comes. Now, we've already mentioned a major feature of this equipment. You aren't dead anymore. <laughs> that's, that's one part of his substance. Um, you're alive. Prior to you coming to Jesus Christ as Savior, prior to you being born again, um, you, you had zero God-empowered capability to say no to sin and to say yes to Jesus. But with that but God of Ephesians chapter 2 we mentioned earlier, with you being born again, that's all changed. That has all changed. Um, God says as much in Romans 6, 1 through 14. It starts out like this, and you, you probably know it well. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, right? Certainly not in the modern English version. No, instead it says, just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Do you see the connection there between his actually being raised from the dead physically and you being raised from spiritual death to spiritual life? Just as he was raised from the dead, as the re reality of Easter that we celebrate, not just Easter, but every Sunday here, that's why we're meeting here together, the reality that Jesus walked out of that tomb, that same reality is why you should walk in newness of life spiritually. Even now. The passage continues telling us, we know this. We know that our old man was crucified with him. We know this by faith. So that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. And then it tells us this. This is one of my favorite passages, one of my favorite words, because we use it a lot down here. Reckon. <laughs> reckon. It says, reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Reckon. Do you know what reckon means? It means to recognize the reality. You are dead to sin, Christian. You are alive to God in Jesus Christ. So God says, don't let sin reign. Don't let it reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. Don't present parts of yourself, not even one little part of your life as a Christian. Don't present that as an instrument of unrighteousness to sin. No. Instead, you're you're to present your whole self to God as an instrument of righteousness. Isn't that what we learn in Romans 12, 1 and 2? We're a living sacrifice, our whole selves, not just, not, not just Sunday, not just I'm going to give you this part of me. This is fenced off. You can't have it yet, God. No, you present your whole self. You deserve it. You freed me to obey. You freed me to present my whole self as worship to you. See, that's the starting point of our being equipped in Christ, recognizing that reality. Living for Christ as followers of Christ. It's you and I mentally recognizing that sin does not have the power over us that it had prior to us trusting in Jesus Christ as Savior. Christian, you can say no to sin. God has equipped you with that capability if you've been born again. That's his dimension. All 
It says every good work. Every good work. Let's look at its design. God did this with a purpose. Verse 21 continues to say, so that you can do, I'm going to emphasize that, do every good work. And thank God for this part. As he works in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. That is such a perfect description of God's intent for how Christians are to live. All glory to God. All power from God. But make no mistake that Scripture teaches us that there is a synergy here in the life of somebody who's been redeemed. If you've been born again. You couldn't do it if he had not done what he had done in raising you from spiritual death to spiritual life. But now you can. You have a part. You have a role to play. And the first part is that mental reckoning that we already spoke of this morning. But there is work for us to do as well in this relationship. Not to be saved, but because we are saved. Isn't that what it clearly says right here in this verse? Work to do his will. And him working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. This synergistic effort is referred to throughout the New Testament in describing this, this substantive equipping that God provides for the Jesus follower. I'll give you a few instances. Philippians 2, 13 to 14. It says, work out your own salvation and fear and trembling. Let me emphasize this before I go on. It says, work out. It does not say work for. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Did you get that? You have a role. As a born-again, redeemed Jesus follower, you've been saved. You have a part to play here. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I'm afraid there's not a whole lot of that going on anymore in 2022 Christianity. We've lost a lot of tremble. We've lost some fear. But you can't do it without him. It it definitely said that in that verse. Um, You can't do it without him. You can't do it on your own. No, it is God who works in you both to will, to actually want to do that, and, and then to do it, to actually perform what he asks. Jerry Bridges, a pastor, author, he's with the Navigators Discipleship Ministry, but in his book, Respectable Sins, he defined this, and I like this because it was, almost doesn't make sense. He calls this the doctrine of dependent responsibility. Seems kind of like an oxymoron. Wait, am I responsible or am I dependent? Because it almost sounds like you're not responsible. yes. you are responsible to obey what God says. Christian, you are to obey the commands of God. And you actually can. You have the power to. You're also dependent. You cannot do it on your own. You could never have done it were it not for him saving you. But now with the Holy Spirit living in you, yeah, you, you can. This isn't just a possibility. That's what we need to realize. I think so many of us think, well, that's cool for pastors or, you know, some super holy Christian. This isn't just a possibility. This is a reality that the blood of Christ purchased for every single believer. The indwelling Holy Spirit of Christ provides for every single believer in Jesus. If they will have it, if they will want it, if they will take it. How do we do that? We continue in him the same way that we came to him. That's been the message of Hebrews. You're probably tired of hearing me say it. But it God says in Colossians 2, 6 and 7, as you have therefore received Jesus Christ as Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive him? By grace through faith. Well, then how do you walk in him? 
by grace <laughs> through faith. Faith that Jesus is better than anything that sin and temptation and the devil in this world are offering you. That's how you walk in him. That's how you work, as he's told us to. Believing that you're no longer bound to sin, that mental reckoning, believing you you no longer have to give in to that temptation. You can say, no, Jesus is better. Let me give you just one more passage. It aligns with this Hebrews 13, 21. You working and God working in you, synergy. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. This is the Apostle Paul speaking here. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. It wasn't pointless. It was purposeful. And it was powerful. And Paul says, I labored more abundantly than them all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So according to 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul's own testimony inspired by God there. Who put forth the effort? Paul. I labored more abundantly. And I don't know who them all is, but it's a lot of people. He put forth the effort. But who empowered it? God. The Holy Spirit. Not I, but, but the grace of God which was with me, he said. God in his grace empowered it. It wouldn't even been possible for Paul to labor more abundantly were it not for God and his grace. And church, we just have to understand that there will be no behaving like Christ without first believing in Jesus Christ. But listen, there needs to be behaving because there always is. Faith works. It's not two separate things. It's subject and verb. True saving faith always results in living for Jesus. If there isn't behaving, well, there's fairly strong evidence that there may have been no true believing to begin with. You have been. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, if you can look back at a point in time in your life when you recognized you were a sinner and you confessed that sin to God, you said, Jesus, I believe what you did on the cross paid for those sins and and assures me of a home in heaven and gives me new life in Christ. If you can look back at that point in time, you have been and you are equipped to behave like Christ. This powerful and plentiful equipping, it is not just, well, I hope I can. I'm going to give it a good try. It can be so much more than that. That's God's design. The God of peace, the God of power. Is God powerful? Amen. We talked about that already. That, that is who is the source of everything that you need to obey his commands. He provides you with this genuine substance to live for the glory of God. As we close, let's look at what God says about the significance of our equipment. And that's at the end of verse 21. It's through Christ. Now what it says, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. It's through Christ. If you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, you've been reconciled to peace with God. You've experienced the same power that raised Jesus from the grave. That song's going in my head. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave. It lives in us. It lives in us. That's not just a song. That's scripture. Romans 8, 11. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You are united with Christ. In his death and his resurrection, baptism, we're a Baptist church. That's why we do that. 
other than God's word tells us to, but that's why God's word tells us to. It is a picture, a sermon, without you even saying a word, of what has already happened in your life. That you united with Christ in death, and when you come out of that water, you've been raised to new life in Christ. Everything we've been talking about here, that's a picture of it. You've been freed from the penalty of sin. You're no longer going to hell. You have a home in heaven, but you've also been freed from the power of sin over your life. You can, because you are fully equipped in Christ. You can do every good work. Him working in you, what is well-pleasing in his sight. You can say no to sin. You can say yes to Jesus all through Jesus Christ. That's its significance. You cannot do it alone. You cannot do it in your own power, but you have his power. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave. Him working in you, that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith that he is better than whatever else I'm being offered. Don't overlook those three words after this phrase. That describes this symbiotic, synergistic relationship that we have in the power to follow Christ now that we are his. It's through Jesus Christ. And, and never forget what it, verse 21 ends with. It's for Jesus Christ. Why do we live in this power? So that I can call people to come check me out and, and look how holy I am so I can make sure I capture a, a selfie for Facebook or the gram every time I, I obey God's word. That's not why we do it, never. It's for him, for Jesus Christ, it's for his glory. None of it would be possible without him. So all glory in our living for him is for him. That's what it says, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. You know what amen means? So be it. So be it, Dublin First Baptist. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your savior, if you can't look back at a point in time in your life when you're like, I need that. That's me. Save me. Do that this morning. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been calling you to do that as you've heard God's word. Don't wait. Don't delay. Even as I'm talking right now, call out to him. Confess your sins. Receive Christ. We've actually heard testimony of that happening this past week in a service just like this, a young one, trusting Christ as Savior. You have, Christian, you have been living in the same power that raised Jesus from the grave. It lives in you. Are you living in it? Are you living in that power? If that's not been the case, maybe God's laid it on your heart this morning to begin. Lord, I need to begin mentally recognizing, reckoning, I'm dead to sin through Jesus Christ. Sin does not have the power over me that it had before I was saved. And maybe you'll say, God, I am done living like it does. Won't you claim that through Christ? Won't you claim that for the glory of Jesus Christ this morning? Don't wait. You came here to worship this morning, and you have. We've sang together. We've exalted him. But please realize there is no greater worship. There is no greater praise. There is no song that never ends, just keeps on exalting Christ like a life lived through Christ and for Jesus Christ every single day. That's the praise he wants. The last words of Hebrews, verse 25, grace be with you all. Will it be with you? Has it come to you this morning? And if so, will you come to God's grace this morning? As Tommy comes to lead us in a time of invitation, however, the Holy Spirit has used the word of God to call you to respond. Today, I just ask that you'd obey.